Section 25 of Modern Magic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Modern Magic A Practical Treatise on the Art of Conjuring by Professor Lewis Hoffman. Section 25 Tricks with Rings. The Flying Ring. The majority of ring tricks depend upon the substitution at some period of the trick of a dummy ring for a borrowed one, which must be so nearly alike as not to be distinguishable by the eye of the spectator. This desideratum is secured by using wedding rings, which, being always made plain, are all sufficiently alike for this purpose. You may account for your preference of wedding rings by remarking that they are found to be imbued with a mesmeric virtue which renders them peculiarly suitable for magical experiments, or give any other reason, however absurd, so long as it is sufficiently remote from the true one. As, however, many ladies have a sort of superstitious objection to remove their wedding rings, even for a temporary purpose, it will be well to provide yourself with an extra one of your own, so as to meet a possible failure in borrowing. There is a little appliance, exceedingly simple in its character, which may be used with advantage in many ring tricks. It consists of a plain gold or gilt ring, attached to a short piece of white or grey sewing silk. This, again, is attached to a piece of cord elastic, fastened to the inside of the coat-sleeve of the performer, in such manner that, when the arm is allowed to hang down, the ring falls about a couple of inches short of the edge of the cuff. Some, in place of the elastic, use a watch-barrel, attached in like manner, but the cheaper apparatus, if properly arranged, is equally effective. It is obvious that if a ring so prepared be taken in the fingers of the hand to whose sleeve it is attached, it will, on being released, instantly fly up the sleeve. This renders it a useful auxiliary in any trick in which the sudden disappearance of such a ring is an element, and a little ingenuity will discover numerous modes of making it so available. One of the simplest modes of using it is as follows. Producing a small piece of paper, to which you direct particular attention, you state that a wedding ring wrapped up therein cannot be again extracted without your permission. A wedding ring is borrowed in order to test your assertion, and you, meanwhile, get in readiness the flying ring, which is attached, we will suppose, to your left sleeve. Receiving the borrowed ring in your right hand, you apparently transfer it to the other hand, really palming it between the second and third fingers, and at the same moment exhibiting your own ring, and immediately afterwards drop the borrowed ring into the pochette on that side. You must take care so to stand that the back of your left hand may be towards the spectators, that the thread, lying along the inside of your hand, may not be seen. 
spreading the paper on the table and placing the ring upon it you fold the paper over it beginning with the side away from you and pressing it so as to show the shape of the ring through it as you fold down a second angle of the paper you release the ring which forthwith flies up your sleeve you continue to fold the paper and repeating your assertion that no one can take the ring out without your permission hand it to a spectator in order that he may make the attempt on opening the paper he finds that you were very safe in asserting that he could not take the ring out of it inasmuch as the ring is no longer in it having gained possession of the borrowed ring you may reproduce it in a variety of different ways according to your own fancy and invention for instance you may retiring for a moment bring forward the snuff-box vase described at page two hundred and seventeen meanwhile wrapping the ring in a piece of paper similar to that you have already used and placing it in one of the boxes contained in the vase bringing the vase forward to the audience you open it in such manner as to exhibit the other box in which after it has been duly examined you request one of the audience to place the empty paper closing the vase and placing it on the table you fire your pistol at it or merely touch it with your wand and order the ring to return to the paper you now open the vase at the compartment containing the first box drawing particular attention to the fact that you have not even touched the box you again offer it for inspection the folded paper which the audience take to be the same is duly found therein and on being opened is shown to contain the borrowed ring a similar effect on a smaller scale may be produced by privately placing the paper containing the ring in the inner compartment of the plug box described at page 192 and requesting one of the audience to place the original folded paper in the outer compartment to pass a ring from the one hand to either finger of the other hand this is a very old and simple trick but it has puzzled many and comes in appropriately in this place as affording another illustration of the use of the flying ring the only additional preparation consists of a little hook such as is used to fasten ladies dresses sewn to the trouser of the performer just level with the fingers of his right hand when hanging by his side but a little behind the thigh so as to be covered by the coat tail borrowing a wedding ring the performer receives it in his right hand immediately transferring it in appearance as in the last trick to his left hand showing in place of it the flying ring which is already in his left hand he drops the right hand to his side and slips the borrowed ring on the little hook then remarking you all see this ring which i have just borrowed i will make it invisibly pass to my right hand and on to whichever finger of that hand you may please to select here he waves his right hand with an indicative gesture 
thus indirectly showing that he has nothing therein and again lets the hand fall carelessly by his side as soon as the finger is chosen he slips the borrowed ring upon the end of that particular finger immediately closing the hand so as to conceal it and holds out the hand at arm's length in front of him then saying one two three pass he releases the flying ring and opening both hands shows that the left is empty and that the borrowed ring has passed to the selected finger of the right hand the hook may if preferred be dispensed with the ring being simply dropped into the pochette on the right side and again taken from thence when required to pass a ring through a pocket handkerchief this is but a juvenile trick but we insert it for the sake of completeness it is performed by the aid of a piece of wire sharpened to a point at each end and bent into the form of a ring the performer having this palmed in his right hand borrows a wedding ring and a handkerchief silk for preference holding the borrowed ring between the fingers of his right hand he throws the handkerchief over it and immediately seizes with the left hand through the handkerchief apparently the borrowed ring but really the sham ring which he adroitly substitutes he now requests one of the spectators to take hold of the ring in like manner taking care to make him hold it in such a way that he may not be able to feel the opening between the points which would betray the secret the ring being thus held and the handkerchief hanging down around it a second spectator is requested for greater security to tie a piece of tape or string tightly round the handkerchief an inch or two below the ring the performer then takes the handkerchief into his own hand and throwing the loose part of the handkerchief over his right hand so as to conceal his mode of operation slightly straightens the sham ring and works one of the points through the handkerchief so getting it out and rubbing the handkerchief with his finger and thumb in order to obliterate the hole made by the wire in its passage he now palms the sham ring and produces the real one which has all along remained in his right hand requesting the person who tied the knot to ascertain for himself that it has not been tampered with to pass a ring through the table this also is a juvenile trick but a very good one the necessary apparatus consists of an ordinary glass tumbler and a handkerchief to the middle of which is attached by means of a piece of sewing silk about four inches in length a substitute ring of your own borrowing a ring from one of the company you announce that it will at your command pass through the table but as the process being magical is necessarily invisible you must first cover it over holding the handkerchief by two of the corners you carelessly shake it out taking care to keep the side on which is the suspended ring towards yourself and wrapping in it apparently the borrowed but really the suspended ring you hand it to one of the company requesting him to grasp the ring through the handkerchief 
and to hold it securely. A word of caution may here be given, which will be found more or less applicable to all magical performances. Have the room in which you perform as brilliantly lighted as you please, but take care so to arrange the lights, or so to place yourself, that all the lights may be in front of you, and none behind you. The trick we are now describing affords a practical illustration of the necessity for this. If you have any light behind you, the handkerchief, as you shake it to show that it is not prepared, will appear semi-transparent, and the spectators will be able to see the suspended ring dangling behind it. For a similar reason, you should always endeavor to have a dark background for your performances, as any thread, or the like, which you may have occasion to secretly use, will then be invisible at a short distance, while against a light background, for example, a muslin curtain or white wallpaper, it would be instantly noticeable. But to return to our trick, we left one of the spectators tightly holding the suspended ring, covered by the folds of the handkerchief. Your next step is to request the audience to choose at what particular spot in the table the ring shall pass through it. When they have made the selection, you place the tumbler upon the spot chosen, and request the person having charge of the ring to hold his hand immediately over the glass, around which you drape the folds of the handkerchief. Now, you say, will you be kind enough, sir? to drop the ring in the glass. He lets go, and the ring falls with an audible ting into the glass. Are you all satisfied, you ask, that the ring is now in the glass? The reply will generally be in the affirmative, but if anyone is skeptical, you invite him to shake the glass, still covered by the handkerchief, when the ring is heard to rattle within it. Your next step is to borrow a hat, which you take in the hand which still retains the genuine ring, holding it in such manner that the tips of the fingers are just inside the hat, the ring being concealed beneath them. In this condition you can freely exhibit the inside of the hat, which is seen to be perfectly empty. You now place the hat under the table, mouth upwards relaxing as you do so the pressure of the fingers, and allowing the coin to slide gently down into the crown. Leaving the hat under the table, which should be so placed that the spectators cannot, as they stand or sit, see quite into the crown, you take hold of the extreme edge of the handkerchief, and saying, One, two, three, pass, jerk it away, and request someone to pick up the hat and return the borrowed ring to the owner. We have given the trick in its simplest form, but it is obvious that it is capable of any amount of variation as regards the circumstances under which the vanished ring is again found. The plug box, page 192, or the nest of boxes, page 197, may be here made available. 
the performer placing the ring where it is to be afterwards found, during his momentary absence in search of the necessary apparatus. To pass a ring invisibly upon the middle of a wooden wand, the ends being held by two of the spectators. In this trick, the handkerchief prepared, with the ring attached, for the purpose of the last illusion may be again employed. Though some use, for the present purpose, a handkerchief with a ring stitched in one corner. In our own opinion, the suspended ring is preferable, and we shall describe the trick accordingly. The only other requisite will be the magic wand, or any short stick or rod of such diameter that a finger ring may slip easily upon it. Having borrowed a ring, you proceed to wrap it, in reality the substitute, in the handkerchief, and hand it to someone to hold. The borrowed ring, of course, remains in your hand. Picking up with your other hand your wand, you transfer it to the hand containing the ring. Taking hold of it by the extreme end, you pass the ring over it, which a very little practice will enable you to do without the smallest difficulty. You then say, I am about to order the ring which Mr. So-and-so is holding to leave the handkerchief and pass on to this wand. For greater security, I will ask two of the gentlemen present to hold the ends. Will someone volunteer for the purpose? Two candidates having come forward, you place yourself facing the person who is holding the ring in the handkerchief at the same time sliding your hand with the ring to the center of the wand, and holding the latter in a horizontal position across your body. You now invite the two volunteers each to take hold of one end, pretending to be very particular that the wand should be perfectly horizontal, this giving you an excuse for keeping your hand upon it, sliding it backwards and forwards, and raising now one end now the other, till the level is such as to satisfy your correct eye. When at last you are satisfied, you ask the person in charge of the ring to step forward, so as to bring it immediately above the wand, over which you immediately spread the pocket handkerchief, letting the edges fall on either side of the wand. As soon as the wand is covered, you can, of course, remove your hand. Then, taking hold of one corner of the handkerchief, you request the holder of the ring to let go at the word three, and saying, one, two, three, pass, draw away the handkerchief sharply, which, brushing against the genuine ring, will set it revolving rapidly, as though it had just passed onto the wand. Some professors introduce the flying ring in the performance of this trick, thus dispensing altogether with the handkerchief. The slight variations in working thereby rendered necessary will readily suggest themselves without further explanation. The Magic Ball and Rings This is a recent improvement on the trick last described. The performer borrows three rings, which, in this instance, as the trick does not depend upon a substitution, may be of any pattern. They should not, however, be too large, 
for which reason ladies' rings are preferable. These he places, or requests the owners to place, in the Davenport cabinet, see page 195, the watch box, see page 219, or any other apparatus which will enable him secretly to get possession of them. He then brings in and hands for inspection an ebony ball, an inch and a half to two inches in diameter, through which is bored a hole of three-eighths of an inch in diameter, and a brass rod about two feet in length, with a knob at each end, and of such a thickness as to pass freely through the ball. Both are closely scrutinized, and admitted to be fair and solid. In sight of all he unscrews one of the knobs, and places the ball upon the rod, throwing a handkerchief over it, and requesting two of the audience to hold the ends. Passing his hand under the handkerchief, he orders the ball to drop into his hand, when his command is instantly obeyed. He next orders the rings to pass from the cabinet, and to take the place of the ball on the brass rod. On removing the handkerchief, the rings are seen on the rod, and the cabinet, on examination, is found empty. The secret consists in the use of two balls, one of which, that handed round for inspection, has no speciality. The other is divided into two parts, the section being vertically through the bore. See figure 106. These two parts fit closely together, and being, as is also the solid ball, carved in concentric circles parallel to the opening, the division is not readily noticeable. The two halves, A and B, are hollowed out to contain the rings, each having three slots or mortises cut at right angles to the direction of the hole through the ball. When the performer retires to fetch the ball and rod, he places the borrowed rings in these slots. When the two halves of the ball are brought together, the rings will encircle the hole through the center, and the rod, when passed through the ball, will pass through the rings also. The performer places the trick ball, thus prepared, under his waistband, or in one of his pochettes, and, returning, hands for inspection the brass rod and the solid ball. While these are being examined, he palms the trick ball, and in passing over the rod apparently the ball which has just been examined, adroitly substitutes that which contains the rings. After having thrown the handkerchief over the rod, he passes under it his hand, still containing the solid ball. It is an easy matter to pull asunder the hollow ball, and this in turn is palmed, and the solid ball passed to the end of the fingers, before the performer, again uncovering his hand, which he brings out palm downward, carelessly throws down the solid ball, as being that which he has just taken off the rod. This is the only part of the trick which requires any special dexterity, and any difficulty which may be at first found will quickly disappear with a little practice. When the ball comes apart, the rings are, of course, left on the rod. A further improvement may be made in the trick by using a sword with a rapier blade, 
in place of the brass rod. The trick is not only more effective in appearance, as the sword appears to cut through the ball, but the tapering shape of the blade makes the trick much easier to perform, as you have only to draw the ball down towards the hilt, when the swell of the blade will force the two halves of the ball apart, leaving them naturally in your hand. It is best in this case simultaneously to let the solid ball drop from your palm to the floor. This draws all eyes downwards, and gives you ample opportunity to drop the halves of the trick ball into your secret pocket. In this form of the trick you, of course, hold the sword yourself in the ordinary manner, and you may, if you prefer it, dispense with the handkerchief, using your hand only to mask the operation, at once stepping forward as the ball drops to the ground and saying, Will the owners be kind enough to identify their rings? To pass a borrowed ring into an egg. This is an effective conclusion to a ring trick. The necessary apparatus consists of two wooden egg cups, inside one of which, at the bottom, is cut a mortise or slot just large enough to receive one-half the circumference of a lady's ring, and to hold it in an upright position. The second egg cup has no speciality, being, in fact, merely a dummy, designed to be handed to the audience for inspection. An ordinary button-hook, or a piece of wire bent into the shape of a button-hook, completes the preparations. We will assume that the performer has, in the course of one or other of the tricks already described, secretly obtained possession of a borrowed ring which the audience believe still to remain in some place or apparatus in which they have seen it deposited. The operator, retiring for an instant, returns with a plate of eggs in one hand and the dummy egg cup in the other. The special egg cup, with the ring already in the mortise, is meanwhile placed either under his waistband or in one or other of his pochettes, so as to be instantly get-addable when required. Placing the eggs on the table, he hands round the egg cup for inspection, that all may observe that it is wholly without preparation, and in turning to place the egg cup on the table, he substitutes for it the one which contains the ring, but which the audience naturally believe to be that which they have just examined. Bringing forward the plate of eggs, the performer requests the company to choose whichever they please. While they are making their selection, he carefully turns back his sleeves, showing indirectly that his hands are empty. Taking the chosen egg with the tips of his fingers, and showing it on all sides, to prove that there is no preparation about it, he says, Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have seen me place the ring which this lady has kindly lent me in so-and-so, according to the place where it is supposed to be. You have selected, of your own free choice, this particular egg among half a dozen others. I am about to command the ring to leave the place where it now is, and to pass into the very center of this egg. If you think the egg is prepared in any way, it is open to you even now to choose another. You are all satisfied that the egg has not been tampered with? Well, 
then. Just observe still that I have nothing in my hands. I have merely to say, One, two, three, pass. The ring is now in the egg. At the word pass, the performer taps one end of the egg with his wand, just hard enough to crack it slightly. Dear me, he says, I did not intend to hit quite so hard, but it is of no consequence. Stepping to the table, he places the egg, with the cracked end downwards, in the prepared egg cup, using just sufficient pressure to force the egg well down upon the ring, the projecting portion of which is thereby forced into the egg. The egg being already cracked, a very slight pressure is sufficient. Bringing forward the egg in the cup, the hook already mentioned, and a table napkin, he taps the top of the egg smartly with his wand, so as to crack it, and offering the hook to the owner of the ring, requests her to see whether her property is not in the egg. The ring is immediately fished out, and being wiped upon the napkin, is recognized as that which was borrowed. The apparatus in which it was originally placed is, on being examined, found empty. THE MAGIC ROSE This little apparatus affords the means for a graceful termination of a ring trick. A ring having been made to disappear in any of the modes before described, the operator, retiring for a moment, returns with a rosebud in his hand. Advancing to the owner of the ring, he requests her to breathe on the flower. As she does so, the bud is seen slowly to open, and in the center of the new-blown flower is found the missing article. The idea of the flower, warmed into bloom under a fair lady's breath, is so poetical that it seems quite a pity to be obliged to confess that the rose is an artificial one, made chiefly of tin, and that its petals, normally held open by the action of a spring, are, when the flower is first brought on, kept closed by a sliding ring or collar upon the stalk, again reopening as this collar is drawn back by the magician's fingers. End of section 25